listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras. Instant cameras. And everything analog photography related. Polaroid fans, do I have a treat for you. In this episode, I interview one of the most knowledgeable SX70 repairers on the planet. So much so, people have even called him the Polaroid Whisperer. I'm of course talking about Jake Bright, the instant camera guy, and I chat to Jake live from his home in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Hello my friends, how are you? I hope you are well, wherever you are all around the world. Welcome to episode 46 of Matt Loves Cameras. And I've got a real treat for you today. I have Jake Bright, the instant camera guy. A fascinating interview where Jake gives us some of his wisdom about Polaroids, repairing Polaroids, modifying cameras, all that kind of stuff. And it really is a great listen, so I hope you will enjoy it. Before we kick off into the interview, I'll just give you a little rundown on what I've been up to. So I was actually out shooting last night in the beautiful seaside suburb of Wynnum here in Brisbane. Uh, I dropped my daughter off at her her dance and theatre practice and I headed down to the seaside with some cameras and uh, one of the cameras I had was an SX70 which was actually restored by Jake. Uh, So I I got my SX70 out uh, with a pack of film that recently arrived from the Netherlands. I bought some, I bought a big load of film from the Netherlands, a Polaroid store there and uh, yeah the colours in that latest batch of SX70 film are beautiful so I certainly recommend if you do like Polaroids make sure you get fresh film try and get it direct from the factory in the Netherlands or from the US Polaroid store that's probably your best bet if you want those beautiful colors uh, it, it really is very lovely uh, the latest emulsions coming out of Polaroid I have heard some people sort of you know bag Polaroid a little bit and I, I can understand that you know it's not exactly the most uh, hasn't hasn't been the most stable of films over the last few years but I think the results they're coming out with lately are really, really wonderful. Now, I did hear friends of the show, Jeff and Gabe from My Dream of Cameras, talk about Polaroid. And they uh, they weren't very, uh, how shall I put this, they weren't very charitable about the, the film Polaroid is producing. Uh, but I'd certainly suggest that if you haven't shot Polaroid for a while, the integral film, the SX-70 or the I-Type or the 600 series, try and get some fresh film and give it another go. Because I, I really think the latest emulsions uh, are really, really getting much better uh, than they have been in previous years um so yeah you know keep shooting those polaroids uh now speaking of jeff and gabe of course they appeared in episode 45 of matt loves cameras it was a really wonderful two-hour chat with the guys we discussed our fantasy cameras that we've never owned over 10 rounds and it was a really wonderful conversation and i thank you so much uh i really really enjoyed uh the chat with the guys it was actually the fastest ever episode of Matt Loves Cameras to get to 500 downloads. I think we got there in just under six days. Uh, so, you know, Jeff Jeff and Gabe pulling in some numbers for good old Matt Loves Cameras, which is uh, fantastic. Uh, so thanks to the guys for that. Really appreciate it. Now, after today's interview, I'll give you an update on the Lomachrome Purple competition. I will be revealing our special guest judge. Very, very exciting. And uh, I'll also be giving you a bit of hope. If you haven't got your entries ready just yet, 
it's okay. Don't panic. There is still time, but keep listening to the end of the episode for, for more details about the Lomachrome Purple competition, which of course will turn into a community zine. Very, very exciting. Today, I have a real treat for you, listeners. I chat to a man who goes by many names. Officially, his name is Jake Bright. But many people here in Australia who belong to Australian film photography Facebook groups will know him as Jake Threepwood. His business is called The Instant Camera Guy, and he's even been called The Polaroid Whisperer. We talk about how Jake got into repairing cameras, his PacFilm camera modifications, how he felt when PacFilm was discontinued, how he pivoted his business into repairing SX-70s, what kind of cameras he personally likes to shoot with, his interesting advice on gas, which I absolutely love, and we also talk about the other vintage items he's learned to fix, and also, finally, uh, we talk about Polaroid Go. It is a fascinating conversation, and I really hope you will enjoy it. Now, just an apology before the episode, I actually recorded this over Zoom. Now, my podcast mic wasn't working with Zoom for some reason, so I just used my internal mic on my Mac, uh, and uh, the, the sound quality from me isn't great. It's okay, you can still understand what I'm saying, but it isn't great. Jake sounds brilliant, so that's all you really need. Uh, But I will try and sort that out for future interviews, of course. So my guest today on Matt Loves Cameras needs no introduction to many of our Australian listeners. If you've ever seen a post in a local film photography Facebook group asking for help or repair advice for a Polaroid SX-70, only one person gets tagged over and over and over again. I am, of course, talking about Jake Threepwood, also known as the Instant Camera Guy. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing uh, doing very, very, very well. Um, for the record, by the way, because uh, lo- not a lot of people know this about me, uh, Jake Threepwood isn't actually my my real surname. Oh, okay, yep. My real surname real surname is Bright. Um, yep. Threepwood is my Facebook uh, Facebook name, which is actually the name of one of my favorite video game camera uh, That's uh, right. characters. I remember. I remember. From, thinking, uh, now, I think, Island. Do you want me to redo the intro with Jake Bright? No, 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 that, that's fine because it's, uh, it comes up all the time. So it's absolutely hilarious. I, I think we should keep I, it in. I remember that now. I remember seeing somewhere, um, seeing it somewhere on the internet, Jake Threepwood, and I thought, hang on, is that? Yeah, so I remember I remember that now. Very, very interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny because um, so many people know me, I guess, through the forums, just yeah, yeah. Uh, just hanging around on Facebook that they, uh, they often associate with that name. So I think I've been name-dropped countless, time, countless yeah. times on various different uh, uh uh, social media posts and and podcasts and whatever uh, as Jake Threepwood. So I'll answer to both. <laughs> Excellent. Good to hear. I guess as long as they've got uh, a broken Polaroid SX-70 coming your way, I guess you don't mind too much what they call you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So let me, uh, let's go back in time a little bit and uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you became the instant camera guy. Well, um, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an interesting story and pretty much what happened um I've always been a, a tinkerer of sorts, right? Um, I've all, I, I grew up with a dad who was a mechanic by trade uh, and grew up restoring cars with him. So wow. over the years, you know, we had we had Mustangs and Minis and, and all co- all sorts of stuff. So uh, I grew up with a uh, 
I guess, a very mechanically based childhood uh, of constantly being in the shed, helping him out. Uh, and my dad was also a former um, wedding DJ by profession. Oh, cool. uh, and he worked, in, he worked in the hi-fi industry for many years. So I grew up with a lot of, uh, I guess, what you call analog technology, um, a lot of turntables, record players. Um, and so long before I was ever re- refurbishing cameras, you know, obviously I was helping him restore cars. Uh, and I got into refurbishing record players probably at the age of sort of 15 or 16, taking them apart and figuring figuring out how they work. So I've always been like, uh, as I said, a bit of a tinkerer. And I think that my approach in terms of uh, like, like especially being involved in photography is a bit of an interesting one because I always started with the technology first before the artistic side of things. So you um, started what repairing cameras before you actually became interested in taking photos? Yeah, legitimately. Um, In fact, it was like I've been doing this, I think, since it'd be nine years. It has to be like 2012 or something like that. And it was only the end of 2013 that I sort of realised, you know, actually, I think I've been doing it longer than that. I think it's just officially ABN registered since 2012. But um, I realised and made it a New Year's resolution because I was like, holy moly, I've got all this very professional photography gear that I never use for what it's actually intent just simply because I'd come across it and refurbished it and it works, but I'd never actually used it. So I, I never got into really shooting film or, or taking photos as an artistic outlet uh, until quite like several years into, into actually doing the repair side of things. Um, but the, the reason that I guess I migrated from uh, cars and record players onto cameras can, can be traced back to my brother. It's all his fault. Um, <laughs> At the time, he was I was studying media in high school, so I've always had an interest in sort of film and uh, and, and that side. Like I was always interested in, in motion picture and cinematography, which I guess uh, is closely related to film. Um, and he, at the time, wanted to buy a little Diana. Like at the time, Lamography was just becoming a big thing, and he wanted yeah. to buy a little Diana Mini for his girlfriend. And uh, he was like, oh, you know, Jake, uh, do you know anything about these little film cameras? Like, can you even still buy film anymore? And, and all this kind of stuff. And I, and I sort of was like, well, first of all, Jesse, you do realize that media and photography are two different subjects at school, right? Like I have no, I have no yeah. idea anything about photography. Um, but I looked into it for him. I did the research for him. Cause I, I guess I was a bit more knowledgeable. Um, and uh, what sort of had made me click um, something sort of clicked in my brain where I started to realize that, I had grown up as a millennial throughout the 90s on the verge of technology going from analog to digital, whether it be the rise of the internet age, yep. the rise of computing, um, the rise of mobile phones, all that kind of stuff. We had gone from uh, you know using cassette tapes to MP3s. And I had lived through that period. And I started to realize that all of my childhood photos, which my parents had taken on their little Canon sure shot, you know, just a little 35 mil, they bought it at the airport one day mm. camera. It was nothing special, but they were, they absolutely blew out of the water. Anything that my parents little five megapixel digital point and shoot could do. Like it, yeah. it wasn't even a comparison. Yeah. And so I started to think, right, maybe I should get 
a camera that shoots film because I was going to Bali in, in a month for, for a holiday. So since the Lomography camera was too, too expensive for my um, student budget, <laughs> I bought a, a Holger, a little 135BC. That was my first ever camera. Yep. And when I was in Bali, um, they still processed film over there. It was $2 Australian to buy a roll of Fuji 400. Wow. And uh, de- developing with prints, Matt, was $2. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so so did you shoot a lot of film on holiday? Oh, absolutely. I think I, I must have shot like you know, 40 rolls of film because it didn't matter. Wow. Like it was yeah, so yeah, cheap. yeah. It was so cheap. It was cheaper than what I was spending on drinks, you know. Yeah. Um, and I just shot a lot. And as a result, I fell in love with it and just started researching all film, all things film uh, photography related. And I eventually stumbled across Polaroids. Of course, yep. this is a good 10 years ago when you could still buy Fuji Peel Apart film. So uh, for those that have never shot one of the like automatic land cameras, those take a, a very strange 4.5 or 3 volt battery, which is no longer made. So mm. if you want to use one, you have to modify it to triple A's. Yep. Uh, so I bought one of those that was pre-restored for peel apart film. I think I shot two packs before deciding oh, this is too expensive. I'm a poor student, can't afford it. So I sold the cameras because I needed money. Um and literally like half an hour after this camera was gone, I was like, oh, I really missed that thing. So <laughs> I hopped on eBay, bought a cheaper one that wasn't restored because yep. I figured, oh, it's just a battery compartment. How hard can it be? And I asked my dad, I said, you know how to use a soldering iron, right? He goes, yeah, sure I do. <laughs> so he showed me how to pick up a soldering iron and and that really started it. And it sort of, it evolved from there. I ended up going to uh, the UK with my my partner at the time, and I picked up a few Polaroid 600s. This is right as Impossible Project was starting. Yeah. Uh, I brought them back. I used them for a friend's birthday. Again, I needed money, so I sold them. Uh, and I sold them for a little bit more than I paid for them. And it was actually my mum. <laughs> so it's my brother and my mum's fault. My mum's fault definitely for the business side of yep. things. But it was my mum who then goes, you know, Jake, uh, you know, you, you picked up those things for five pounds in the UK and now you've sold them for $50. Uh, just because you've got them, you know, proved that they're working. She goes, yeah. you know, if, if you could do that a few times, that's a good little hobby business for you. And I thought, Absolutely. I thought, well, yeah, it is. So I um I started buying them from the US, and this is back in the the glory days of Kevin Rudd being the the PM, and we yeah. were, you know, surviving the financial crisis dollar for dollar with the yeah. US, and I could basically purchase a Polaroid six hundred shipped for like twenty dollars if I bought a few of them at once. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I started at that point, I was basically, you know, polishing any scuffs off them. I wasn't really repairing them so much, but ensuring that they worked, fully testing them, guaranteeing yep. them uh, and just selling them on uh, on Gumtree. Um, and then my friend Haley was like, Jake, do they all just come in black? So um, she goes, can't, can't you paint them or something like make a pink one or a blue yeah. one? And I thought, well, well, sure. So I started taking them apart and I, I taught myself. Uh, how to dismantle a 600, how to repaint them different colors. And by learning to dismantle them, I learned how to swap flashes and repair shutters. And uh, and basically it just evolved from there. And then then I, I went back to the Type 100 peel aparts. Uh, so in my early years of the business, I was mainly known for converting them to use manual lenses and shutters from like, you know, uh, a Graflex or a, a Tominon 127mm lens or something like that to yep. give it a better performance. So you've got manual control of shutter speed and you've got an F4.7 aperture. And yep. that's what I was known for. Um, I did SX70s on the side uh, and sort of after Fuji Peel Apart 
became obsolete and discontinued. I focused on SX70s and have been doing that ever since, basically. And, and now that's my current specialty, I guess. So what's, uh, let's talk about those peel apart cameras. Um, Cause I think I bought mm. from you a few years ago, I bought a, 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 one of the peel apart cameras, uh, not peel apart cameras, but the, the black film cameras from you. How yeah. has, how many, you know, have you gone from doing, you know, five a week black film cameras to doing zero? Or what's the change been in the last few years with the discontinuation of film? It, it, you know, whenever there's been like a super traumatic event and people go like, Oh, you know, I remember, where I was when I saw the, you know, the, <laughs> the Twin Towers. The Twin Tower. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We all have that, we all have that one yeah. vivid memory. Obviously the two scenarios are not comparable, but yes. I remember exactly where I was when I heard that Fuji Peel Apart film had been discontinued. I had woken up. It was, a, I believe, a Saturday morning. Yep. Uh, and I'd rolled out of bed, checked my phones by 8.30 in the morning. I'd slept in. And literally the first story on my Facebook feed is Fujifilm discontinued. And I just remember saying to Anna, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought in my head, well, there goes what is basically 75% of my business model yeah. overnight evaporated. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a really, really tragic loss, I think, for the for the film community. Um, now, fortunately, SuperSense, uh, as you probably are aware, are continuing some form of uh, peel apart film to this day. So it's not completely dead, but I would say that it's very much on life support. Uh, it's it's like the living dead, basically. Um, so I encourage anyone, if you have a peel apart camera or you want to source one, do it while it lasts, because this is like the end of an era. It may not be around forever. Mm. We're talking about more like a real cottage industry production for this peel apart film that's happening at the moment. Um, so I'd, I'd highly recommend someone shoot it while you get your hands on it. But I, I really enjoyed the, I guess the, just the whole build aspect because what I was doing with these peel apart cameras was unique. Like a lot of people knew how to do a one, two, seven mil Tominon conversion, yep. but I focused a lot on focal lengths that were a little wider around 105 mil. And the best lens that I actually found for the peel apart cameras was a one ten mil, a Zeiss lens called a Novenar. Yep. And it was a triplet lens, multi-coded, had great multi-coding. It's from the 1950s. Uh, a 110 mil lens was very close to 114 mil, which is what the camera originally was. But this triplet lens had such a character. It was so swirly and had this really nice vignette in the corners. Um, and the color rendition just absolutely popped if you used FP100C. Um, and it, it, it was sort of what I really enjoyed doing is being able to sort of customize because I'd be able to put different leather panels on and, you know, I could do different colors if people wanted them. Um, and just basically any lens that a customer wanted to use that was roughly 105 to 127 millimeters in focal length, I could yep. install. And I, I really did enjoy the challenge of custom fitting stuff for clients and coming up with something that was very, very unique. So how many of those did you do? Do you remember vaguely? And and where's the furthest one you sent one to? Uh, I, I definitely sent them to all corners of the globe. I know I sent one to Singapore. I sent one to the States. Yep. I might've even sent one to the UK. Um, I, I actually have no idea how many custom peel apart cameras I would have made. It, it would have been somewhere between, I want to say roughly 50 or so, yeah. maybe, yeah. Um, which, uh, I mean, back then in terms of my business, I 
like I, I've, I've never advertised myself. I've always been strictly through word of mouth. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would just list something on Gumtree if I had something to sell. So uh, back then I didn't really do so much repairs for other people. I would, I would custom make them something if they commissioned me to, but I, I was mainly in the business of buying, refurbishing and selling, sure. uh, which is very drastically different to what I, what I did now. But um, yeah, when, when Peel Apart was discontinued, I basically used up all the spare parts that I had, sold off anything complete that took Peel Apart while you could still get the film uh, and shifted gears and uh, basically just dove straight into doing SX-70s instead, um, which actually worked out much better for me in terms of a business model and in terms of allowing me to expand and help a lot of other people. They are very complex cameras, SX-70s, yep. um, and they are a camera where even if you're a trained camera repair technician, you may not know how to repair an SX-70 because they have more in common with computers than they do cameras. Mm. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's this very strange hybrid of electrical and mechanical engineering, which works in perfect harmony. It's unlike repairing anything else. Like not only do you need to make sure that mechanically all of these switches are working, but you need to make sure that everything from an electrical perspective is working too, whether it be reseeding microchips, reflowing solder, um, making sure traces aren't lifting, making sure there's no corrosion on parts or that the capacitors are working. It's like, it's unlike repairing anything else. And as far as I know, I'm the only one in the Southern Hemisphere really specialising. Like there, there might be a few other people out there, but they're not actively doing it as a business that I know yeah. of, or there might be a few, I guess, people just doing some amateur repairs. Um, but as far as like an official, like like, like I'm, I'm the official repairman for Polaroid Australia. Like oh, wow. they, if you call them up, if you call them up and ask like, I got a camera. I need it repaired. They'll refer to me, which Excellent. is pretty cool. So I yeah, know, yeah. I know the guy from uh, Brands Australia. They they deal with Polaroid. So like, as far as I know, it's just me. So it's um yeah, it's sort of been an interesting journey for me because like all of the repair stuff that I've had to, I guess, learn has been all from scratch. Like, there's not really any tooling here in Australia. It's very isolated. The resources aren't the same. So most of the tools and and knowledge that I've obtained, I've either had to make or invent. You're listening to Matt Love's Cameras. You started off by, you know, uh, battery converting uh, pack film cameras and doing conversions and lenses and reskinning and all that. So how then, how did you then all of a sudden, did you just grab an SX-70 and with your mechanical mind, start taking them apart and working out what was wrong with them? I mean, have you found any handbooks or anything online or did you ask anyone for help or? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really, really good question. Um, What we've got to bear in mind is when I started repairing SX-70s, it was like Impossible Project had only just started. There was actually very, very little resources out there in terms of like being able to ask someone. The only resource available was a French blog called, uh, the guy was called Kimi or something like that. And I think his website's down. Uh, It was Kimi's SX-70 page and he had a bit of info there. Uh, There was a PDF repair manual of the SX-70 floating around online, which I perused, but um, the the issue with the official Polaroid repair manual is it's not helpful. Um, it, it tells you how a camera works, yeah. but it doesn't explain 
any symptomatology or troubleshooting. Yep. And it also assumes that you have all of this very, very specific, very specialized electrical and uh, mechanical tool set that only the factory had access to. Mm. Like, like, for example, um, where the bellows connect to the body uh, at the bottom, there is two screws at the front. Now, that's easy to remove. It's a screw, right? As long as you've got the right screwdriver bit, you can remove it. But at the back, there's two clips. And Polaroid's way of removing this clip was they had a special tool that looked like a pack of film with a lever attached to it, and you'd insert it into the camera, push down the lever, and it would send these two little splodges up at the end, which would pop the uh, the clips off. Yep. Like who the hell has one of those tools? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and then and so the repair manual will be like, oh, you know, uh, disassemble shutter and place on shutter testing unit you know, yeah. number three. Or like, and it's like, great, okay, I have none of this stuff. So yeah. when I when I was learning how to take them apart, it was literally like like what you would hear of like you know these Soviet countries doing back in the day where they took this piece of technology and was mm. like, right. How does it work? Yeah. Let's strip it and find out what makes it tick. It was like doing an autopsy, basically, yeah, and yeah. figuring out the anatomy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I had a few clues, but it was it was very much like I had to teach myself ways of getting inside certain parts that didn't exist. Mm. Um, and, and as a result of that, like I, I, I actually feel, although it took me a long time, I feel like it was in some ways a better way to learn because it made me think very much outside the box to the point, to the point where I've been able to come up with a few techniques that no one else had ever heard of or, or tried before, such as the, uh, the motor refurbishing using, using a sanding block to file back the copper. Um, I, I might just quickly explain that for anyone that's listening to the podcast. Um, inside the camera at the beating heart of it, you've got a motor, which is what drives all the film eject mechanism. And basically if that motor doesn't work, well, nothing else in the camera will work. And what happens is the bit that spins inside the motor is made of copper. And if you've ever seen the Statue of Liberty or anything copper that's left outside, you know it turns green with corrosion. Well, so does the spinny bit inside the motor. And if it gets corroded, uh, the corrosive salt doesn't conduct electricity as well as copper. So it forms a barrier, electricity can't flow, the motor doesn't spin. And over the years, basically everyone's solution to that that I'd ever seen online was replace the motor, which is a good solution if you happen to have a stock of new old stock motors lying around. Like where am I supposed to get those? (laughs) All the way on this vast deserted island of Australia. Um, There's got to be a better way. And, yeah, so I taught myself this way of sort of prying the motors open, taking out the rotor and polishing it so it goes back to copper. Mm -hmm. And when you put it back together and reinstall it, it it runs like a V8 supercar. Like it's it's just, boom, like comes back to life. Now, I think it was, if people want to see that process, uh, you do a whole load of, uh, what are they called, Facebook Lives on your Facebook page. Yeah. So your Facebook page is uh, facebook.com forward slash instant camera guy. And uh, after your face after your Facebook Live is completed, obviously it gets posted to your page. So I think it was um, was it last week? I actually saw you doing that process you've just explained, and I think it was yeah. maybe um, I don't know uh, maybe the twenty fourth of April, the twenty third of April. So uh, people want to see exactly what you're talking about. There, they can go across to your your Facebook page, Instant Camera Guy, and they can uh, they can see all that um, happening um, in the well in the past now, but it, it was live at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and those those live videos, I absolutely love doing them. Um, it was something that I did purely because of COVID happening. Um, I basically, like, you know, not that I was out all the time. I was obviously still repairing cameras, but I, I figured, like, a lot of people are going to be at home bored, not having much to do. So I figured since I had more time indoors uh, and, you know, my work cut my hours back a bit because, you know, we we couldn't work for as long. So I decided, well, why not just do the same repair that I always do, but to a live audience? I I figured I'd be kind of like, you ever been to Chinatown and there's people making dumplings in the windows? (laughs) People lying up watching them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like this, people really, really enjoyed it. and like I have people tuning in from all over the world. I got like this small little following in Singapore and in South America and in Poland asking me questions. So it was really, really fun in terms of, um, yeah, just, just coming up with, like, I guess, a new format and showing everyone like some of the intricacies that go into actually restoring one of these cameras properly. Because I think what some people tend to assume is, and I see this all the time on forums and they say, Oh, I've just bought this refurbished SX 70 where all they've done is really just change the skin, right? They, they peel off the old leather and yep. then they put a new one on um, and nothing's actually been done. To, and I'm like, well, it's not really refurbishing. That's mm. like reskinning in 70. Um, and the thing with SX 70s is, uh, and I've explained this a lot in my live stream videos, and I'm just going to keep explaining it to the end of time because it's something that people don't realize is the SX 70 came out of the oven half baked. Um, it was not something that uh, was finished. Yep. And the, the reason for that is Edwin Land, who is the founder and owner of Polar, and I'm sure. Uh, some people listening to the podcast might know the story, but I definitely recommend looking up Dr. Edmund Land. Um, he spent the equivalent of a billion dollars in research and development throughout the 60s mm. building this thing. There's so much about the SX-70 had to be invented from scratch because it didn't exist, right? Like yep. the way they stuck the leather panels to the body, they needed a glue, so they just invented double-sided tape. <laughs> like it had never existed, so they just, oh, yeah. we just invent that. And then they needed a, a computerized microcontroller for exposure. Oh, just invent that. We'll send the design to a PCB maker. And and uh, uh, the curved mirror in the viewfinder never existed. So they used a Cray supercomputer to come up with that curved design and do the wow. math for it. Like, yep. It was mind-boggling how much research and development went into this. And towards the end, once Land has spent like a billion dollars, his shareholders and the rest of the company were like, dude, you have got to get something to the market and recoup mm. these losses. It's like a black hole of money that you're spending. And so they rushed it to the market. And as a result, they had a lot of design flaws, um, lots and lots and lots and lots of design flaws. Like the original batteries the packs used would leak and turn the film blue. Um, they used this really crappy quality metal for the door latch, which often snaps. Yep. They had this little uh, plastic coupler on the drive shaft for the motor, which always snaps. Um, they had uh, like like so many things, like um, uh, poor quality soldering, uh, the early Fairchild PCBs that they used. They used two types of manufacturers for the PCB, Fairchild and Texas Instruments. Yep. And those Fairchild ones are just like rubbish quality and are prone to spontaneous failure. The light meters are prone to uh, corrosion. So if you want to get one working, um, you really need to have it 
completely torn down and all of those things that I mentioned fixed, at least preemptively, so that it performs at its best. And I think what's put some people off shooting with an SX-70 if they've had subpar results is they've probably done it from a camera that's been, you know, just tested as is, like from yep. some, you know, from grandpa's attic, from fresh from 1978, um, untouched, you know, stored in an attic somewhere and, and, you know, things age and get gummy over time. And, and as a, like, as a result, SX seventies in general, are just prone to overexposing the film. So once you rectify that and, and service the camera, they tend to work a hell of a lot better. So that was one of my questions. What typically goes wrong with this SX seventy? But you've you've described all those uh, little things there. Uh, uh, these all sort what, of what doesn't go wrong, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> it um look it, it it depends on it depends on the model as to what yep. the most common faults are. I always get asked what's the best SX seventy, right? What is best in in inverted commas? Mm-hmm. And truthfully, they all have pros and cons. Sure. Um, like the Fairchild shutter that I mentioned before, right, uh, is very prone because it doesn't use microchips. It uses this flimsy piece of tape with all the transistors attached to that and then like a blob of acrylic covering it. Yeah. So if they flex too much, the little copper strands inside snap and the circuits don't work, so the shutters just fail randomly. Wow. So if they work, they work brilliantly. Like they're, they're actually a really uh, reliable design in theory, it's just the execution of how they made the components was very poor and they're prone to fail. Um, but the the irony with that is the light sensors that they those Fairchild boards use are not prone to corrosion. They tend to just expose dead on, even 40 years later, right? Uh, yeah. Whereas the, the Texas Instruments boards, at least the earlier ones, are way more reliable in terms of the chips, but the electric eyes are more prone to corrosion, leading to overexposure. Yep. And the later TI boards, which were made in Taiwan, have very, very, very poor quality solder where things can look joined together, but there's actually no electrical connection. So I, whenever I see a TI board, I always resolder it anyway. Sure. Um, so there are pros and cons. Like, um, uh, like the SLR680, for example, is considered the pinnacle. It's got mm-hmm. easily the best quality motor, right? The motors on those very, very rarely corrode ever. Sure. It's got really good quality ribbon cables. Um, but the mirror that's inside the back, which folds up, uh, the silicon on that is not as good a quality as the SX70. So sometimes the mirrors will fall off and rattle around inside. The oh, no. so, yeah, yep. it's, all, it's all swings and roundabouts, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you'll have... And it depends, of course, how a camera gets treated. Um, yep. You know, I, I have mentioned things like physical damage and cracked body panels and stuff. But, yeah, definitely the most common things I see are definitely chrome and tan models I see the most. Uh, but snap drive shafts overexposing because of either gummy shutter blades or a dodgy electric eye. Um and that's probably the two most common things. Or I'll get a camera that just doesn't run at all because the motor's corroded. Sure. And are all those things fixable? I mean, do you have a lot of spare parts there in your garage or, or how, do you, how do you manage all this? Yeah. It, so, so typically everything on an SX-70 is repairable. There's really only one thing I would say is a critical failure point on an SX-70. And what I mean by critical failure is it would be easier to get a different camera than to fix this one. Yeah. And that's that on that gear train along the side, those gears are made of plastic. Yeah. And some of the gears are riveted into the metal body by a factory machine. 
Sure. And as such are irreplaceable. Right. So if one of those teeth on the gear gets worn, it will only spin a certain amount before it stops, rendering the camera uh, useless. And because that rivet, like to replace it would involve taking apart the entire drivetrain, somehow tapping the rivet out, somehow replacing it so that it's as sturdy as it originally was, then going through all the hassle of rebuilding the entire thing all over again. Yeah. The thing is, to get that spare part, you would have to have a good working other body. So I would just restore that body. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Literally, it would be literally easier to swap every single other body panel onto that working drivetrain than fix that drivetrain. So that's basically the only thing that would absolutely brick the camera. Just about everything else you can replace. It's just a matter of if you can find the spare parts. So sure. um, usually if a customer has a camera that, is beyond repair for whatever reason, or it's not economically feasible to repair. I encourage them to donate it to me as spare parts. That's how I get my spare parts. Cool. You can't buy modern SX70 parts with the exception of a few limited electric electrical pieces. Um, you cannot buy new parts. So I have to recycle them from old cameras. And I've got quite a collection, but it's not uncommon for like right now, I don't have any spare shutters. Um, right. I've used up my supply. So I don't have anything that I can, I can use as spares if someone comes to me with a dead shutter. But um, yeah, usually the, the, the thing I like about SX-70s is they would, because they were built in the 70s, right? But they were designed in the 60s. And in the 60s, things were built to last, yeah, right? Yeah. Things, were, things were often built to be user serviceable or if they were tech serviceable, it was, it was designed so that there was a way to do it. You know what I mean? Like mm. you, you don't get that these days with any kind of modern camera or device or anything like that it's it's generally infinitely harder to repair something modern these days you're listening to matt loves cameras that's the one you're gonna use (laughs) (laughs) so I sent you down um, a couple of cameras. This is going back uh, a couple of years ago. I, I picked up uh, a beautiful SX70. Uh, it looked from it was actually a, a dentist. I think he'd passed away, and his kids sold off these these cameras. So they had an SX beautiful SX70. looked looked like it was in mint condition, cosmetically or fairly yeah. close to mint. I put a, a cartridge yeah. in, and it kind of whirred, but it didn't sound particularly great. Uh, so I bought yeah. that for sixty dollars. I thought this is great, and the pack turned out all blue. So I, I sent it down to you. Um, now. Now, I'm just looking back at the conversation we had back then. I sent it down to you with a, I sent you down two cameras. And I think what happened was you, you were a bit stumped. And, and when someone has a reputation for being the best Polaroid repair person around and they come back and say, I'm a bit stumped, I, I was starting to worry a little bit. But it sounds like <laughs> just looking back at this conversation, I think you replaced the circuit board on the shutter. Yeah. Uh, is that a, a, yeah. a common thing that you've seen since or was, or was mine a one-off? Yeah, so so I, I actually did a great video on this a, a few weeks ago where I, I talked about the intermittent issue. Right. Um, and it, it's a repairman's worst nightmare. So I obviously get a lot of cameras to repair, and, and I can vaguely remember details of your cameras. But what can happen, because it's a circuit board, right, you, you've got two, two microchips which control things like how fast the shutter opens and when it should open and when it should close. Yep. And then you've got a little chip that's responsible for reading the, uh, the light coming from the electric eye. Sure. And um, effectively what happens is 
electrics will fail one of two ways. You can either get the the trace, the actual metal copper circuit that goes to the components, that might fail. And that's a pretty easy fix. You can either put a bodge wire going from one end to another, or you can just repair it with solder. Mm-hmm. But if the actual chip itself fails, that is generally going to result in a lot more intermittent, bizarre problems. So like inside a microchip is basically just a smaller version of a circuit board, but it's microscopic. You can't fix it, right? It's all compressed into a little silicon brick. But silicon degrades over time. No microchips last forever, although they're pretty damn reliable. Um, But if corrosion gets inside the chip and forms like a weird little uh, short circuit or it eliminates part of a circuit, you can get just about any number of strange behaviours happening on an SX-70 that you could ever imagine. And it's so variable. So the only way to really... It's not a process of ruling it in. Um, You have to rule it out. You have to make sure everything else works. Mm. And the simplest way to test that is, and I think that's how I fixed your camera, I took your shutter off completely because I was like, what the hell is going on with this thing? And I put on a different shutter and then it worked properly, right? And so that tells me, great, well, the body clearly works. It's the brains that's at at fault. So, Mm. uh, And I had that the other day in the video. I had this customer's camera, which eight times out of ten would fire perfectly. And then I think it would go into like a massive long exposure mode for absolutely no reason. Um, just an intermittent problem. And uh, yeah, not, not something that we can really do anything about. I fixed all the solder, resoldered everything. It worked better after I had had my hands on it, but I could not get it to, uh, to function. But look, that just happens sometimes. Um, so it's definitely something that I see. The fortunate thing is there's light at the end of the tunnel. There is a, a project uh, spearheaded in, in, I think, Barcelona by a guy called uh, Joaquin de Prada, and he heads the Open SX-70 project, yep. mm-hmm. which you, you may have heard about. Listeners might be familiar. And this is effectively a open-source Arduino-based replacement for the PCB, which is fully programmable with USB connection. Um, and it basically replaces the entire brains of the camera. So it's a brand new PCB, brand thinking new, no dodgy 40-year-old microchips. Yep. Um, and I was very, very fortunate enough to have one donated to me. I got a prototype sent over uh, and I wired it up onto my personal SX-70 and it just works amazingly. And um, he's eventually planning on turning it into a commercial product. Uh, the last I heard maybe by the end of this year. Um, but it's been a long and ongoing process. Um, but it's very cool. It's got a little dongle you can insert into the flash, like Mint's uh, time machine, which gives you manual yes. control of shutter speed if you want it. Yeah. Uh, alternatively, you can just set it to either 600 or a 670 mode, and it, it oh, just wow. it explodes perfectly. It's really, really cool. Wow. So in effect, what that would replace, like an ND filter in an SX-70, you, you just put this thing yeah. on top and you can, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, so you can just literally set it to whatever speed you want, and you don't even need to use it with the dongle. Once you've set your ISO, oh, okay. you can yeah, yeah. take the dongle off. Wow. You just take the dongle off, and it, and it has flash memory, so it remembers whatever you set it to. So yeah. really cool stuff. Like the future is like – all of this modern Arduino-based stuff is is really the future of where this kind of technology is going. Mm-hmm. Um And it's just – it's really great to see. So I'm very excited for that in the future because – if that becomes a commercial product, I'll be able to buy some from him yeah. and fix 
customers SX70s that have a fried shutter. It, you know, it'd be a bit yeah. expensive. I'm assuming it'd be like an extra hundred dollars, but you'll end up with something that, like, really, that's the the brains of the camera are the bit that is like hard to replace because sure. it's electrical. But I'm very excited to to see how that goes. And have you ever had a camera that you couldn't fix? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not a. I'm a. Not a wizard. A, not a magic wand. Yeah, look, I'm. I'm. A, I'm. A, I, I. I always say like, uh, I'm a repairman. I'm. I'm not Jesus. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a miracle worker. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, I, I have seen things that that come through my way that are just beyond. Yeah, help. Beyond yeah. my capabilities. Mm. Um, and uh, you know that's why you buy from an official ABN registered business yeah. because if I can't fix it, there's no charge, or or if I've charged you for this repair and it fails and it's under warranty and I can't get it to work, I'll refund your money. So, sure. uh, but yeah, I, I, I see things that come across my way that I'm like, look, I'm sorry, this camera is too far gone. Um, yeah. the chips are bad or, but look, it, the good thing is it doesn't happen very often. 95% of SX-70s that come my way, even if they're utterly untested and look like they live at the bottom of the ocean can be coaxed back to life with sure. enough, uh, with enough CPR yeah. and enough surgery. Um, but yeah, you, you do get some that are bricked that I can't really do anything with. Um, yeah. But they're, they're, even then those ones that are stuffed are great for harvesting for parts. Sure, like one, sure. one broken SX-70 might give life to five other SX-70s yeah. as a result. Of that. Yeah. So it's yeah, always worth it. And if you've got one that's absolutely fried, like if anyone's listening and you want to make sure that you help out, so like send it to me for parts because I'm always – always in the market for some. Um, sometimes I end up with enough parts I can actually build a brand new camera out of them. Wow. And that's what I'm going to do on a live stream, hopefully a little later today. Cool. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always in the market for parts to help other people out because it's the only way of getting your hands on spares is, is getting donations or using cameras that would be on repair. Yeah. Now we've spoken about the SX70 models, but what about the later SX70 sonar models and then the 600 series sonar models like the SLR 680? Do you get many of those through? What are they like to repair? Yeah, so uh, I recently had an SX70 sonar come through. There's a guy, or well, at least he was here in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, he was selling a bunch of new old stock SX70 sonars. Now these were all yeah, technically new old stock, but they'd all been stored somewhere very, very moist and none of them work. So if you're out there and you see this guy with this too good to be true sounding deal on a brand new SX-70 sonar, please know that they do not function. Uh, but I was able to coax life back into this. It does need the sensor replaced on the autofocus because it doesn't work. Um, but the, the really cool thing I like about SX-70s is they're all modular with the exception of very, very early ones from the earliest like month of production. Everything after 1972 right through to the, the SLR 680 is effectively you can swap parts. So you can make a silver SLR 680 if you want to. You can swap it with chrome body panels. You can swap shutters over. You can put an SX-70 shutter on an SLR 680 body. You can put a sonar shutter on an early SX-70 body. You can swap everything because it's all the same design. Mm. They're all the same pins. They're all the same thread of screws so yeah. uh, you can really do a lot so i do repair slr 680s um i do repair sx70 so, uh, sonars the biggest thing that goes wrong with sonars is it's got a little uh, what they call a rotary encoder which counts the amount of times that the cog spins to control the focus uh, which which then sets the distance and yeah. 
that uh, often breaks. Uh, yeah. And there's someone in America making brand new reproduction parts for that. So he's going to send me some very shortly within the next few weeks. And then I hopefully will have a, an SX-70 sonar to repair in a live stream video, which I've never done before, um, yeah. cool. uh, not live. So that'll be interesting if that happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're basically the same. There's a few tiny little variants with how the shutter works, but they're all modular. So I see them all the time. Any any folding SLR, I, I can repair basically cool. uh, within within limits. Like if, if something's completely trashed, uh, well, the chips are dead. Well, there's not a lot I can do unless I get a whole different spare shutter. But um, the one thing to know is with Sonars and the SLR 680, the more features you have, the more things can go wrong. <laughs> That's a bit of a, um, just a, an old school mentality of me because yeah. I grew up with all these old cars and, you know, modern technology is great with all the feature sets, right? But sometimes I see, I can't help but see all these modern feature sets on smart devices and things and just think like, oh man, that's just like five more features that are going to break. <laughs> you go wrong, that's right, yeah. And, and, yeah. and the more you build, the more you build into one without making it, able to be taken apart the yeah. you know, only one function has to die before it's rendered broken. you know what i mean yeah 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 and what about um the rigid body cameras because i've i've picked up probably 20 um 600 series you know the rigid body yep. cameras and yep. i think i've only ever had one that didn't work i mean do you ever yeah. get do you repair them do you ever get them in what's your experience with them yeah look i i, I want to say that i do repair them in inverted commas um those cameras are, they were designed by a guy whose sole mission was make this able to be assembled with basically zero screws. So the whole thing is plastic tabbed together. Yep. And as a result, they are very hard to completely take apart and dismantle without snapping components. Like the risk is quite high. Sure. With that said, they're also of the type of design, which is just about invincible. Like they are so simple and so well built and the quality of plastic is so high that when they work, they work. And the only thing that will really damage them is if they get stored somewhere moist and things corrode yep. or if they get dropped, sure. like, like physical damage. And, and yep. that can break inside bits that move. Um, I can swap out components. I can swap bodies. I can repaint them. I can swap flash units over as long as I have spares. But you can't really, other than replacing a flash capacitor, you can't really repair them like you would repair an SX-70. Mm. Um, but again, they are modular. Like the even the early square box type 600s and the later rounder type, like the inside mechanism is exactly the same. It's only the body shape that changes. So you can actually cool. swap parts over. Uh, and that, that's actually what I started off doing. It's um, it's interesting, though, because you get inside them without any tools. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you just have yeah. you, you need a flat screwdriver to pry things. But, uh, but yeah. that's about it. They are, they're very unique to work on. Um, but the good thing about them, like if someone's buying one untested, all you really need to do is bring a pack of film. And if yeah. it works, it works, and it should continue to work just about forever. 
Um, that, so that was always yeah. my thing. I would take um, empty cartridge, which I knew had the batteries were working, and I would always test the yeah. camera. And it, as long yeah. as it had the beautiful sound, it was it was good to go. And it was all going yeah. so well until I bought that SX70 uh, that I had to send down to you. So is that a rule yeah. with, with testing it with a, an empty cartridge? Is that typically that will work okay with the rigid bodies, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything with the the folding ones? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, look. Even even if you get an SX70, you put the empty pack in and it wears to life. It's not a matter of if, but when it breaks, especially if it is an early chrome and tan model, because as I mentioned before, there's a plastic drive shaft coupler, which like eventually it'll snap, right? It's, it's, it's not, it's a, it's an absolute guarantee. I can't tell you when it will snap, but it will snap eventually. Um, So when you fa- when you factor in things like uh, pick arm lubricant drying out and electrocise corroding and solder being suboptimal, it's worth getting it overhauled so that you know it's going to work as good as it possibly can anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, you can st- you can still test an SX70 like that, and certainly if it wears to life and it fires the shutter properly, well, you know it's a great candidate for getting restored because it'll have no <laughs> major issue. Sure. So it'll just need it'll just need a bit of. Um, uh, preventative maintenance rather yeah. than fixing a problem. But uh, even that, if, if you put a pack in and nothing happens, it can still probably be brought to life. Um, sure. it, it, you just have to, yeah, it, it just depends on what the problem is. But it's very uncommon for me not to be able to bring an SX-70 to life in some capacity. Like it's, yeah. it, they, they are very repairable. If you would like to support this podcast, why not buy our dad a coffee? Visit coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras. And buy him a coffee for just $3. Yeah. And what about, I mean, you called, you know, your, your Facebook page is Instant Camera Guy. What about that other side of instant photography, which is, of course, Instax? Do you ever repair any Instax cameras? Uh, I, I get asked this all the time. Um, my answer to that is no. Um, the the thing with Instax cameras, they're so cheap. Mm. Like you can pick up an Instax, yeah. an Instax wide, like the earlier round ones for like a hundred dollars or less. Yeah. I think even the modern like Instax three hundred. I haven't price checked them. I'm just going to Google that right now while <laughs> while we're talking. Instax, they're about hundred bucks, a bit over hundred dollars, aren't they? Or yeah, I, I see it wide three hundred. Let me just find the camera. Yeah, it's like literally a hundred and six dollars. Yeah, like yeah. with with a whole bunch of film is like wow. like like a hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah, it's just like I can't repair it for less than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, the other thing is they are very plastic. Um, yes. Like yeah. if you look at if you look at the the rear door for a, an Instax Wide three hundred, yep. the clip is this spring loaded bit of plastic. Yeah. That'll snap one. And yeah. when that snaps, you're going to have to come up with some kind of a latch to install on it because that door will never close again. <laughs> you have to yeah. or something, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to have to blue tack that shut. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the uh, the internals, the electrics are teeny, teeny, tiny. It's like a cell mm. phone in there. Like the, yeah. the PCB on a 670 because it's designed in the 60s is big, right? Mm. So it's, it's easy to work on. It's like microscopic inside an Instax, the little mm. controller units and stuff. So... It, just from my perspective, from my just just because like it's not a realistic business model for me. Like, no. let, let me put it this way, Matt. If if I found one on the side of the road and it didn't work, and I wanted it for myself, I may try and fix it. <laughs> but 
it's it's just not a viable like i would no. be there for hours you can't buy parts from fuji like you can't no. contact them and be oh you know can i have a new xyz yeah and even if they did the cost of parts would just about the, the parts are repaired you can get a new one for that and so it's sure. sadly part of it's sort of a it's this disposable economy that we mm. sort of live in uh at the moment where you know everything is planned obsolescence and uh you know cheap and cheerful and replaceable it's like it's like fast photography Mm. basically Mm. Um, yeah absolutely yeah they 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 just don't build them like they used to you know the the funny thing about an sx70 is like well yeah okay they do have a few design flaws and they can break down but on the flip side they also can be repaired um so can so can instax but it's a lot harder and it's not cost effective now tell me about um you know i always think i I shoot both polaroid instax but to me there is a special magic about polaroid not just because you've got this beautiful history these beautiful vintage cameras from the 70s onwards well even before the 70s but um to me there there is just something uh more artistic and more i don't know more beautiful about the uh how the the prints look the the polaroids look compared to the instax how do you feel about Mm. that cold sort of thing there look there's it's the way I describe this is, is it's like, it's like having a nice Toyota Corolla fresh off the lot versus like a 71 Volkswagen Beetle with the Venetian blinds and the roof rack yep. and then the, the avocado green paint job. I used to own a Beetle like that. Nice. Um, right. They'll both get you from point A to point B. One will do it in a certain style and yeah. turn more hip. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you pull, if you pull out an SX70 at a party, versus a dumpy looking Instax Mini. I guarantee you <laughs> there's going to be one that gets more questions, yep. right? Because yeah. they are uh there's something there's something in, in, in the field of design called haptics, which mm-hmm. is the feel of something, right? It's how something feels to use. Yep. And the haptic feedback that one gets from using an SX70, having an SLR viewfinder mm. and being able to focus close uh, and the haptic feedback of like a 600 with a little pop-up flash uh, and, and a peel-apart camera. Like you can't replicate that because there's only one type of camera that was designed like that, right? Mm. Because of patents and copyright law and stuff, they couldn't copy that design. So because um, there's big lawsuits involved, you know, Kodak tried it in the 80s, got the pantsuit off them. So, right. um, so there's, there's, it's very hard to describe. And it's not really a tangible thing that technically exists beyond a theoretical nature, but there is just something different about Mm. using a Polaroid versus an Instax camera. And like, they're both good for different things. Like Instax, the quality of the film is amazing. It's like a 35 mil print, right? But um, the, the kind of quality that you get from the, well, you know, what, what has now become of impossible project is a little different and it's different because they've had this very awkward start where they had to make a type of film with no ingredients available to them that would make it good. Mm. (laughs) So they've had to reverse engineer. And, and I think that kind of retro sort of very vivid aesthetic 
people just really like. It's the same reason that people love old Kodachrome photos. Yeah, sure. It's not true to life, mm. but it's what we know from the National Geographic magazines, yeah. right? You know, we, we can all imagine the, the Maasai Bushman with the bright red robe standing in the lush green forest shot on Kodachrome, and yeah. it's just got that certain... Aesthetic and so, Mm. and it's not true to life at all. It's like (laughs) it's like this vivid hypercolor 70s, uh, uh, you know, um, grindhouse film look that, uh, you know, it's it's just very different. So, but but certainly for me, the type of camera itself is is just radically different. Like, Mm. if if you shoot an S70, it is it is literally unlike any camera that's ever not, not not just any instant camera, it's unlike any other camera that exists in the world nothing yep. has been, been or come since that remotely mm. resembles it in any way shape or form so that i think is very very interesting yeah now speaking of um other cameras i've got a couple more polaroid questions but what we're speaking about other cameras what are your other obviously you've got a, a deep love for polaroid but what are your other sort of go-to cameras and, and lenses and things like that yeah so um over the years, I've owned just about anything you could think of, um, because you know we all get the the gas, right? The gear the gear acquisition syndrome, yeah. and I, I I discovered that the cure for gas is simply just to buy everything that exists, <laughs> yeah. try it all, and then you realize you don't need any of it. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did, and, and I, I I just had hundreds of film cameras at, at one point, and I've I've long since sold off the vast majority of them, um, but in that seven or eight year journey, I was really able to narrow it down to a few just really personal favorites. So for medium format, hands down, the only camera you'll ever need in your entire life. And if you disagree with me, you're just simply wrong (laughs) is the Mamiya D220. It is. Yep. A little large, it's a little heavy, okay, I'll agree, but it's not that much heavier than a Rolly Flex, right? Sure. We're talking a few hundred grams. But what you gain in a slight extra size and a teeny bit more weight is macro focusing, a camera that's built like a tank, yep. and a camera that's a TLR with interchangeable shutters and mm. viewfinders. That, that doesn't exist with anything. It's so unique. And not only that, but you can, as a result of those shutters being modular, you can install custom lenses. So I have a Mamiya C220 that rocks twin Rolleiflex F2.8 Zeiss planars. Wow. Right? Yeah. And that is the best camera. Like, I don't care what you say, Hasselblad, whatever, I wouldn't touch it. Give me my C220 with a reflex viewer and those twin planar lenses. And, Mm. oh, man, that is, it's just the best like yeah. and what i like about it i have this very interesting and very specific approach to things that i want to own and that because i'm a repairman i only really want to own things that i know are going to be reliable or that i can most likely fix if it breaks or at sure. least adjust if it breaks mm. um and the mamiya c series if your shutter breaks well, just swap out a different shutter. It's interchangeable, right? Yeah, and then yeah. while you're getting repaired, you just use one of your other lenses. Um, if you need a new body because it falls off a cliff or something, whatever, they're pretty cheap. They're modular. Yeah. You don't need to replace every, like the whole thing. You can just replace parts of it at yep. once as they break. And I really love that. So, yeah, medium format, hands down, there is no better camera than the Mia C220. Don't let people tell you they're big. Don't let people tell you that they're heavy. Mm. They're really not. 
And if you're complaining about that, you shouldn't be shooting medium format. That is <laughs> sure. end, of, end of discussion. Yeah. Um, and then in, in 35 millimeter lands, my probably two favorite go-tos, I've got a Canon A1, not mm-hmm. the AE1, the Canon A1, the black yeah. one. Yeah, and I've got that with a motor drive. That was my first ever 35mm SLR that I bought. Um, nice. And holy crap, Matt, has the price of those shot up into the yeah. upper stratosphere. Yeah. I paid 250 Australian dollars for body, motor winder, flash, and four lenses. What? Four lenses. Wow. <laughs> mint condition. Wow. Like, everything was mint. It was like untouched from the 80s. Yeah. Now it's like just the lens is worth 250. It's absolutely ridiculous yeah. how much the price has shot up. So I love that as my go-to 35 mil. They're just yep. awesome, bulletproof. I like the I like the electronic exposure. Yes, okay, it is battery dependent, but whatever, just bring some spares. Um, and then my other favorite 35 mil camera is the Leica M5. Nice. Um, the one they which, call the yeah, yeah, the, the, the ugly one. Um, and, and I don't think it is. Though. It's funny because when you speak to people that, like, own uh, the Leica M5, yeah. they, they kind of want everyone to believe that they're the rubbish, ugly one. So no yeah, one yeah, 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 yeah. Because keep the price is a bit lower. <laughs> yeah, keep the prices a bit, although they, they, they've climbed up again. Yeah. When I, I paid for my Leica M5, I paid $660 for mine. Wow. Which is just stupidly cheap for, yeah, for a yeah. black three one. Um, and I have taken that thing everywhere. It's just so bulletproof. Mm. And when people use an M5, like after using an M6 or an M4 or an M3, they will generally 90% of the time admit like, oh, yeah, it's better. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, they're just a better camera. In, in the, the, at least if you've got large hands, the, yeah, yeah. the position of the film advance, the position of the shutter speed selection, yep. the – the viewfinder, for example, has a match needle exposure, which uh, allows you to see how much over or under you're exposing. So on the fly, you know, you really get this feeling of how mm. your shot's going to look up. You go, oh, right, I need two stops over. You can do that without taking your eye off the viewfinder. Yeah. And and the other thing is I don't even think they're ugly. I think they look really I cool. Think they're nice. they just have yeah. really... Yeah, they have this really utilitarian view. The mm. only thing that makes them look ugly is if you put kind of like a medium-sized a small to medium sized lens, it looks a bit out of proportion. So sure. um, if you, if you put a big chunky lens hood on it, it goes back to looking amazing. Yeah. And what, what lens then, is your, man, just, your go-to lens for the M5? Uh, my go-to lens for the M5, I've got a collection of the uh, Zeiss, uh, the, the modern Zeiss ZM series glass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, nice. Everything from the 21 mil compact to the 85 telephoto. So wow. I've got, I don't have the whole set, but I've got a majority of all the important ones. I would say I've got two favorite lenses. One is a custom-made pancake lens that I had made from MS Optical. Oh. Uses the same, it uses a 35mm f2.8 taken from a Pentax point-and-shoot. Yeah, wow. Uh, which is uh, actually a sonar design. So it's a, a sonar pancake lens. Very, very unique, very interesting render. Uh and something that I, I had made, but there's probably a story for another another podcast. Um, but I would say that the Zeiss ZM 50mm f1.5 sonar is just the best lens. That and the 30 the 35mm f2 planar. Yep. Those those two like you don't need any more lenses if you want to just get um, uh, Zeiss ZM lenses. The 35 f2 planar is just. The best all-rounder lens. It's stupidly sharp. 
the bokeh is really neutral and mm-hmm. just very creamy. Yeah. Uh, and the 50, the 50 mil sauna, the bokeh on that is out of this world. Like wide open at f1.5, it's like it's like you know how like um, you know how they they say like oh you know a photographer it, it's the photographer that makes the photo. It's not about the tools. It's not about the gear. Trust me, if you have the 50 mil 1.5 sauna, you're instantly an excellent photographer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'll it'll yeah. do all the heavy lifting for you. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to, all you got to do is nail focus and it'll, yeah. it'll look good. I promise you. Nice. Um, especially with portraits. Yeah. So yeah, it's, um, it's a good way of faking people into thinking you're an excellent photographer. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. And that, that one that you had, um, the, the custom one from the point and shoot lens, what, what Pentax point and shoot, was that from like an SBO mini or something? I'm, th- I'm struggling no, to think about it. It was from a, a Pentax PC 35AF-M. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got one of those. I've got one of those hanging around here somewhere. Yep. So that classic 80s, um, very yeah, boxy the classic plastic. 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, so wow. it turns out it's a it's a it's all like a sealed unit, the lens. Yeah. But it is a five element sauna design. Oh wow. I've I've, and, I've only shot a couple of rolls of mine, and I, and I haven't grown to love it. I love point and shoots, but I haven't grown to love it yet. Um, but I've I've got another yeah. roll in there now. And, but um, and the, the the reason that you probably haven't loved it is I've owned them too. I had yeah. three, of, three of them over the years because wow. I mean seven years ago they were worth nothing. They were yeah, like five dollar yeah. camera, mm-hmm. and I personally love the look and the aesthetic of them. But the autofocus is so hit and miss. Like it's. It's like you've got a one out of four settings in focus. And and because it always stops down the aperture, you never get to see the character of the lens come through. But if you actually have manual control of the focus and manual control of the aperture, well, all of a sudden it unlocks the potential of what is otherwise this undiscovered gem of a lens. So now, now watch all the prices go stupidly high on eBay for anyone listening uh, to this podcast. I'd be like, all right, yeah. everyone invest yeah. PC 35 EF. Here we come. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, when you can actually use it manually, it, you realize like, Oh, this is actually like a really yeah, yeah. amazing, amazing lens. So the other yeah, reason so, I, I don't use it as much is because I did drop it the very first time I had it. Um, and the battery drawer was already dodgy, which a lot of those early eighties point and shoots, the battery doors are dodgy, especially the cannons, but I, I dropped it and it went from bad to worse. And I now have a big thing of gaffer tape on the bloody thing because it, that's the only way it functions now with a big thing of gaffer tape. So I can't even sell it really because it's got this ugly yeah. bit of gaffer tape on. You're listening to Matt Love's Cameras. Polaroid Go. Now, um, of course, details of the new Polaroid Go small format film were were leaked a couple of months ago. And initially I was a bit, eh, I wasn't that taken on it. And then the the announcement came out. I was excited. Then I realized how big the things were and I'm disappointed. Uh, But then I see people on Facebook with them and I'm excited. I I don't think I'm going to buy one, but it has been a real roller coaster for me in terms of me liking it or not. What's your reaction to the whole thing? I 100% agree with you. Um, and I've done, uh, for anyone that wants to follow my, my Facebook page for more info about this, I did a, um, I've done two live streams where I talked about my, my feelings for the Polaroid Go. Um, you may or may not know that uh, the reason that Spectrafilm was killed off was to make Polaroid Go. So uh, Spectra has died and been reincarnated as the mini-me mm, <laughs> of, yeah. uh, of Spectra. Um 
I my my thoughts were initially like I, I've got a few thoughts. My, my first thought is about Polaroid as a company and the business model, and then my second thought is about the camera itself because really I have no qualms with it except for one thing, which I'll get into in a minute. But in terms of the company, after seeing the uh, response to Polaroid Go. I do personally feel that this may end up being a very good business decision for model because clearly the uh, the kawaii cute mm. market. Like, let's be honest, it's really cute. Okay, yep. it's ridiculously cute. It's way smaller than I ever thought it would be. Mm. And now that I've seen public response, I think it'll be a good seller. And if that makes Polaroid earn more money and put more money into research and development, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Part of part of me was very scared because. Uh, it seemed like history was repeating itself. So we had Impossible Project fronted by Florian Caps, who was sort of the equivalent of the Dr. Edwin Land. And then he left the company and Polaroid all of a sudden became, right, how do we no longer innovate? How do we make money? Okay. Um, mm. So there was nothing really happening, no real announcements for a while. They killed off Spectra. Uh, all these cameras that they keep releasing were just sort of the what I call the Malibu Stacy with a new hat. Like it's basically the same thing. Same thing, yeah, actually. yeah. Nothing's really exciting. Like, uh, yeah, some colored borders, great, like whatever. There was nothing like mm. fresh coming out. Um, and if you look back at Polaroid's past, the same thing happened. Land was booted out of the company. Yeah. And we went from having SX-70s and Spectras to how can we make the cheapest 600 camera? Yeah. What's the next 600 we can do in a special edition? Oh, we've got mm. the Legoland. Oh, we'll do the Tasmanian Tiger. Yeah, uh, yeah. What are kids? Kids want small. Let's do the iZone. Let's I do yeah. Polaroid 500. And, like, they were all flops. And meanwhile, during the 90s when all this was happening – Polaroid was missing out on all this innovation. They were missing out on photo developing labs. They were missing out on the digital camera revolution because they were all they were interested in was flogging the same film that they'd had for years with cheaper and ever increasingly cheaper cameras um, until they went belly up because they they weren't they stopped innovating. And my worry is that they were do, just doing a repeat. I'm like, oh god, they're just doing the same thing, but with. Mm a smaller format of film, it's iZone all over again. But the difference here is Instax Mini has established themselves as a market leader in the instant game and having something, I think having something that compares with Instax Mini but in that square form factor in such a cute package is going to work out, I, I, I think. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what time does, but... Mm. From the response so far, I do think it's going to work. And if that means Polaroid can do better things, awesome. One, my only complaint with the camera, and as far as I know, let's let's look this up. So I'm just going to Google this Polaroid Go battery. Um, as far uh, as I know, USB. Yeah, it's USB, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which yeah, drives yeah. me nuts. I've got a Polaroid One Step Plus, and every time I go to use it the battery's dead and of course you can't yeah. just take it take it out on the day yeah. out because the, you go charge yeah. it for an hour so yeah, yeah. that is my, yeah so so look they say it'll last 15 packs but i have big beef with rechargeable batteries mm. not because i have anything against them in theory i think they're great yeah but make them user replaceable for crying out loud don't yeah. bury them inside the camera and have a usb charger 
Because A, when it runs out of battery, now you've got to go find a wall wart and plug it in and charge yeah. it. Or you've got to carry one of those external battery charging bricks, which aren't very efficient. But a battery that's rechargeable only has a finite life. It doesn't yeah. last forever. Eventually, it'll lose the ability to hold charge. And when you've got that, you're going to have a tiny, cute little paperweight because there's no way to take this thing apart mm. to replace the battery. And what that is, is it's an example of planned obsolescence, just like they do with smartphones these days. Mm. And they'll say bollocks marketing nonsense. That's like, oh, well, it'll make it waterproof or, yeah. you know, third-party manufacturers won't be able to install dodgy batteries now. Yeah, and that yeah. kind of stuff. It's a whole load of crap. It's just because they want you to buy another camera in yeah, three years. That's right. That's right. So the I funny thing is, though, if you, if you could take out the battery and put a rechargeable battery in, they could sell extra batteries to, to people yeah, exactly. as part of a package. It's weird, isn't it, that they wouldn't do that? It's really weird. Look, I, 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 like, you know, I, I've got a DSLR sitting right next to me with rechargeable batteries that I have spares for That's right. <laughs> because, because I keep a set spare charged so that when I'm in the middle of my product shoots, uh, taking photos of what I'm about to sell online yeah. and my camera runs out of battery, I don't have to then, um, you know, sit there and wait for it to charge for 45 minutes like a Muppet. <laughs> I can just yeah, yeah. take them out and put the new ones in. And I would love these new cameras to have that functionality. And there's, there's no reason they can't just install a little door yeah. with two little brass right. terminals in there for a battery to click into. There is literally no excuse yeah. for not doing that. Yeah. Absolutely none. And there are off-the-shelf lithium-ion batteries you can buy all over the world. Yep. There are already tried-and-true designs that are out there. There is absolutely no excuse other than you wanting to sell another camera in mm. three years for not making a battery rechargeable. Yep. I hate it. I, and it, this is not just the Polaroid go. This is anything. Yeah, yeah. Like I've got a Samsung Galaxy S8, right? Yeah. And the battery on that, I'm charging it right now off my laptop because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to talk sure. for as long as we have. Yeah, yeah. You know, the S5 had a usable replacer battery. I remember when I went to uh, London a few years back when I had my old S3 Samsung, mm -hmm. I had three batteries for that. Wow. That would last me 48 hours of constant yeah. use. By yeah. the time I saw, I figured I figured I could get lost anywhere and find yeah. my way out, right? Because yeah. I had always had spare batteries. It's just it just gets me. It's so frustrating. Um, yeah. And I could rant about it for hours and hours. It's the only qualm. Otherwise, I think it is stupidly cute. It's yeah. really adorable. Okay, the film is small, but whatever. We know why they're doing that. Yeah. It's to it's to counter the Instax Mini market and appeal to the youth and the Southeast Asian market. Yeah. Which, really go for that kind of stuff. Um, but it, yeah, just like, I, I, I don't like things. I, I, I don't like things that aren't user replaceable in terms of power because it's just nonsense. Mm. It's, there's no excuse for it. Um, and I'm not sure if this phone has all that smartphone, uh, sorry, if this camera has all that smartphone connectivity business, I know some of their one step plus you can yeah, engage, you like, control the shutter speed and stuff. Yeah. 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 I don't think it does. I think it's more of a basic model, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I, I, I think it is. I, I haven't read much into it. As mm. I said, I probably won't buy one. I'll probably use one at a party one day. Yeah, yeah. I probably won't. Like I've, yeah. already, I've already got an SX70 with an open SX70 PCB. Like I've already got the creme de la creme best. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> best yeah. Polaroid available. Um, where was I going with this? Um, I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> that's all right. 
Um, I was going to say the only other thing that I, 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 I'm, I'm the same as you. I, I hope it's a success. Um, I don't think I'll buy one at the current price point, but I think I hope it's a success and it does well. But the only one, the only thing that struck me as weird is this: they're, they're targeting that Instax Mini crowd, right? Which typically is that tween, that sort of younger crowd. Um, yeah. How are you going to explain to 10, 12 year olds? I and mean, I've got, I've got two kids, but how are you going to explain to them? Oh, you know, when when they, when this image comes out, you have to hide it in your pocket for fifteen minutes because, of course. <laughs> Polaroid film is more light sensitive, you know, these days than it used to be. And yeah, certainly yeah, yeah. there's no issues with Instax. 60, 90 seconds later, it's fine. But Polaroids, you have to, they tell you to shield the image. And how are they going to get that across to, to, to young kids? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, for, fortunately, it's nowhere near as bad as it was in the early days of Impossible. Like, mm. you, you can leave them develop in a room face side up. Uh, direct sunlight, I definitely wouldn't do, but sure. it's not so bad these days like back in the days it was like holy crap shield it like it's a vampire or the photo will burst into flames and you'll get a whitewash yeah Um, it's not so bad these days but uh yeah it's definitely yeah look at that's i guess the one flaw but at least with the film being smaller it'll fit into your pocket matt (laughs) that's very true Uh, i i I remember where i was going with the smartphone connectivity oh yeah yeah, yeah. i think that kind of stuff is cute and novel Mm. But I also question the longevity of it because who knows what we'll be using in five or ten years. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we've like Bluetooth might not be a thing anymore. No. Right? We might have moved on to red tooth or whatever yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. is whatever is next. Like think about just how many how many G's we've been through. Like two G, three G, four G, we're on five G now. Five years from now we'll be on six G. Like yeah. you you just don't know. I I like designs. My personal favorite kind of design is something that is simple that will last if the world turns into a Mad Max apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, still keep like if the comet hits earth and we're all like, I want my stuff to still be working. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. What, what was yeah, that? That's, um, that's me. You know, the Doomsday Book, you know, which was around what, you know, the 11th century in England, they did this, the Norman, the Normans took over England, they did this, you know, they did every farm, every noble, every person, every cow, they wrote down in this big book. I think in the 80s, yeah. the BBC put it on, what are those gold, those gold data discs called? Do you remember what they're called? Oh, you, you, you're talking about laser discs. And laser the, discs, the that's it. Yeah. So hey, you're, they, you're, talking about, you're talking about the BBC microcomputer with the Domesday, yeah, yeah. with the Domesday laser disc. That's right. Yeah. And then I'm, within a few years of them releasing it, it was completely obsolete. And yet the original yeah. book you can still read. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's interesting how sometimes to try and keep up with technology, we do something new and, and, and cool, but that actually it's not because it's it's obsolete within a few years and, and the old ways yeah. still work better. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've got a couple more questions, but I guess we've got to finish this up soon because I've got to. Uh, I've got to, I better get back to work, and I'm sure you've got some live videos to do and stuff like that. Yeah, but, um, I, I do, and I got I got someone picking up a computer I refurbished too, so I'll. Uh, I'll have head we off got shortly. time for one more so, question? Yeah. Oh, I, I've got time for a few. He's, he's coming in 35 Excellent. minutes. So okay, cool. So I also saw on your Facebook uh, page that you also repair other types of vintage electronics. So would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I said, I'm very much a tinkerer at heart. And over the years, I've refurbished things not limited to uh, record players, turntables. Um, I actually have an amplifier that I'll be refurbishing, hopefully, which I found on the hard rubbish. Wow. (laughs) With with its cord cuts, so I'm I'm planning on breathing light into that. Um, I've refurbished, uh, at the moment, I'm doing this whole run of Windows 98, like gaming PCs for old DOS games. Wow. 
Um, I've refurbished Commodore 64 computers. Um, funny that you just mentioned the Domesday with the laser disc. I actually have a BBC microcomputer oh, wow. that, I, yeah, yeah. That, that, that I use for old 80s yeah. BBC micro games. Um, so I've refurbished those. What about a VIC-20? Uh, that, was, that was our first computer, a VIC-20. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've never done a VIC-20, but I've done a Commodore 64, and cool. I, I own a Commodore 64. Nice, nice. Um, I was going to say, you're, you're, on the, you're on Zoom right now, so you can see audio, but um, I know no one watching the podcast will be able to, but uh, here in the... Uh, oh, wow. In the, in the <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. There's keyboards. Awesome. You, you, know, you love the old clacky mechanical keys, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll I'll do a lot of stuff. Um, with that said, I don't like doing things commercially for people that I can't guarantee I'll be able to refurbish. Sure. Um, I like to think of myself as being relatively clever uh, and able to accomplish a lot, but if I've never done something before, I don't want to guarantee to someone like, oh, yeah, I'll be able to fix your... X, Y, Z, whatever, sure. um, when I've never worked on it. You know, like people are like, oh, could you refurbish a Mamiya RB67 for me? Someone said that to me the other day and I was like, look, honestly, never done it. I wouldn't mm. really know where to start. Yeah. In theory, maybe, but I don't want to try in case I break it. Because it's, sure. you know, I feel like I've been doing SX70s for nine years and I've only just gotten good at it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think you I think you got it uh, very good at it a few years before now, but yeah, um, it's, it's a, interesting. Yeah, like, like I, I, I do all right. I do all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so if anyone wants to, um, I, I, do you only accept repairs from Australia or people in New Zealand and Singapore sending you their repairs it, as well? Anywhere in, anywhere in the world. If someone wants to send me a camera, I'm happy to, to get it and give it a look over. Yep. Um, like I said, I think a little earlier in the video, if I can't fix it, I don't charge, yep. right? Because, you know, the odd, odd chance that something will come my way, which is just beyond my ability to repair or I don't have parts for it or whatever. Yep. So no fix, no charge. But otherwise, I'm happy to take just about any SX70 restoration job on um, with the addition of some other Polaroids. Uh, I also do speed graphics, Graflex cameras. Yep. Um, uh, I can do some medium and large format shutters like Mamiya C-Series, for example, which I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. Yep. Um, but, yeah, look, if, if anyone's in doubt of what I can fix, they can ask. Uh, worst case is I'll say, no, nah, it's not something that I do. Um, but, yeah, definitely if someone wants to send stuff anywhere from Australia, it's, it's simply as, as easy as getting in touch with me. Yep. I give you my address. You send it down. Or you can meet me in person if you're a local. If you're here in Melbourne, Victoria, feel free to come over to the workshop, chill out. I'll show you show your uh, – what I'll do to the camera and pull it apart. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's as easy as basically if you can get it to me, I'll have a look at it and I'll try and fix it for you. And there's about a 95% chance that it'll, it'll be up and running again. Excellent. Um, and the best way to get in touch with you is through your Facebook page, is it? Yeah, look, that's probably the easiest way. Um, or you can call my, my mobile number or all the details of which are either on my website, uh, the instant camera guy.com. Um, oh, cool. I didn't know you had a website. Is that relatively new? Yeah, so as of the last sort of year, uh, a oh, friend okay, of mine cool. made it for me. Uh, my, my friend Cameron. So it does have a, do have a website. I also have an Instagram. Yep. Um, you can find my contact information. Um, the easiest way, like if, if you want to get the most information in the shortest period of time, just give me a call, like call yep. my mobile. Like, I'm pretty sure that's what that call was that interrupted our podcast. Oh, is someone's right. calling me. For, yeah. Like, uh, 
because because it'll take me a 20 second phone call to figure out what's wrong with your yeah. camera it's just like pages of text <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely because uh, uh, you know that like the the diagnosis i can often do over the phone just by listening to your sx70 like a wow. horse whisperer or something. Yeah. <laughs> and i've done that i've literally told people like put your sx70 up to the phone press yeah, yeah. it and i'll hear what me. Yeah. Uh, so I can I can sometimes diagnose over the phone, but yeah, look, you can give me a call, you can drop me a message on Instagram or Facebook or something like that, and yeah. uh, we'll sort something out. And if I can't help, well, I try and refer you to somewhere else that can. But odds are, I can get it working. Excellent. That's great. Thanks so much for your time today, Jacob. Really enjoyed talking oh, to you and, uh, and and listening to all your Polaroid knowledge. I, I really wish I was mechanically minded. I'm useless. So I, 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 I'm in awe of people like you who can do amazing things with these vintage uh, cameras and electronics. Look, it's, it, I'll, I'll say to what I say for everyone else. Actually, this is what Dr. Edwin Land, his philosophy was, and I'm paraphrasing here. I can't remember the exact quote, but he said that anything is accomplishable with enough time, money, and concentration. Sure, so yes. don't, don't you ever doubt yourself, Matt. If no. you really put your mind to it, I'm sure you could do this too. It just takes a lot of time. Given it like, a few more decades, maybe. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, just, it's like learning an instrument. You just need yeah. to keep going and get that practice in. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Jake. I will be giving out all your Facebook, Instagram details uh, with this show Wonderful. and the website details. Um, but that's great. Thank you so much for your time today. Any, anytime, anytime, Matt. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Thanks once again to Jake. I really enjoyed the chat with him. And if you have an SX70 camera or another classic Polaroid camera that you need repaired, you can find Jake in the following ways. You can head over to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash instant camera guy. And you can check out his amazing Facebook Live videos. They really are insightful and interesting. Even if you're a complete idiot when it comes to repairing things like me, I, I still find them quite fascinating. And certainly if you uh, repair cameras, I'm sure that you will find them uh, quite quite amazing. So check out uh, that, facebook.com forward slash instant camera guy. Jake's website is theinstantcameraguy.com. And it's quite interesting. It's got information about what he does there. And at the bottom of the page, it's also got his phone number, his email, and links to his various other social platforms. So check that out. And I've learned from the website that he also looks at Graflex, Live Shutters, and other film cameras. So there you go. Also, he probably, if you've got a Commodore 64 that's in need of a bit of love, also hit up Jake and see if he can repair that one as well. And certainly don't forget to tell him that uh, you heard him on Matt Loves Cameras. <laughs> So earlier in this episode, I talked about episode 45 of Matt Loves Cameras, which was I Dream of Cameras, Jump the Shark, uh, which was released on the 4th of May. Now, also on the 4th of May, another episode of a podcast was released. It was episode 360 of the Negative Positives Film Photography Podcast, and I appeared on that episode as well. It was really fantastic to appear on a roundtable episode with Mike Gutterman, Jess Jones, Andre Dominguez, and special guest star from... Hawaii, Mr. Mike Caputo. And so if you haven't already, give episode 360 a listen. We had some great conversations about electronic cameras, what you do with images of people once they're out of your life, buying and rebuying cameras, 
can creativity be learnt or is it just innate? Uh, and also rebranded film. Uh, two highlights of the episode are me comparing others on the podcast to Star Wars characters because, of course, uh, it was uh, May the 4th when that episode was recorded. And also Mike Caputo's three-minute Jamison's Whiskey-inspired sea shanty right at the end of the film, at the podcast. Uh, so that was uh, very, very funny. And um, I just saw on uh, Facebook this morning, actually, Mike Caputo's daughter, I think it's Miley, her name is. I, I think that's how you pronounce it name uh she plays a young katie perry in katie perry's latest music video clip electric so she appeared alongside katie perry in that film clip how how amazing that's absolutely extraordinary and well done to her now mike messaged me during the week and said hey i've only just found out about this loma chrome purple competition and community zine can i get involved and i said of course of course and i think he was going to try and rush an entry for today which is may the 15th uh but i said don't worry you've got a little bit of time uh officially the the deadline is today for the loma chrome purple competition and zine but look i'm going to leave the entry form open until the 31st of may okay so if you do have a late entry you can still access that form until the very end of may once we tick over into june all bets are off because we might be doing the judging episode then uh but until then you can you know feel free to submit a a little bit of a late entry that's okay i've also been contacted by some people who had some issues sourcing the film and also some people who had some issues with the the weather and the climatic conditions in their part of the world so this is the list the people so far that I've got who are hoping to submit an entry very soon before the end of May. I've got Jess Hobbs, Peter Planter and R. John Bernales. Is it Bernales or Bernales? I'm not sure. In Canada. Um, so Jess, Peter and R. John all submitting entries in Canada. I've got Matthew Joseph, friend of the show, Matthew Joseph in Melbourne. So looking forward to Matthew's uh, images. I asked him if he's going to use his X-Pan and I said, oh, we've already had some amazing X-Pan entries through using purple. You're going to use your X-Pan? Uh, but apparently he didn't know how to put the strap on the camera. So that ruled that one out. Uh, we've also got Mike Caputo in Hawaii. Uh, he'll be submitting some, which is very exciting. And I'm also holding out hope that Casey Hall and Mike Gutterman will also be setting in some entries. I know Casey shot a role which he thought was Lamacrone Purple, and it wasn't, unfortunately. Uh, and so he was rather surprised when it was just normal, you know, color negative film. And Mike Gutterman has a role of purple um, film, but I think he's in a bit of a film rut. So, you know, Mike, you should break that film rut. Get out there and shoot some purple around Louisville, Kentucky, man. And, uh, you know, you could be part of this amazing project. I think we're up to 31 entries so far. So it might be a rather long show. So now on to news about our secret mystery judge, who I will reveal uh, as in the coming minutes. Uh, so I had a person in mind to be a co-judge with me for the Lomochrome Purple competition in Zine. And this person has a very strong track record using Lomochrome Purple. In fact, this person released a book last year called The Purple Book, which is a a, a book full of images using Lomochrome Purple. Uh, so who better to judge the competition, right? So uh, I thought, look, I don't want to approach this person, you know, at the start of when the competition was announced. You know, what if we only get two or three entries? It'd be a bit embarrassing, all that kind of stuff. And so I thought I'll wait 
till we get, you know, 24 or 25 entries and I'll approach them. They probably don't know who I am or never heard of the podcast or the competition. Uh, so I didn't want to approach them before I had, you know, quite a few entries in. Um, but lo and behold, this person did know about the competition and zine. In fact, I think I'd followed them and they'd followed me back on Instagram a couple of months ago. And uh, this person actually contacted me uh, about a week ago and said, oh, hey, thanks for the reminder about the competition. I, I, I need to submit my purple images. And I said, oh, I'm so glad that you've contacted me because I would love you to be a judge. Now, I know that many of you actually follow this person on Instagram. So I'm sure some of you know who this who it is. It is, of course, Kate Grout, a very, very talented artist and photographer based in Maine, New England in the United States. And uh, just looking through Kate's Instagram feed, there are some wonderful, wonderful uh, images uh, all taken on film by the look of it. A lot of Polaroids, some nice round frame Polaroids, some really cool double exposures. And of course, uh, Kate also released the Purple Book last year. So check out Kate's Instagram if you haven't already. And I know that many of you do follow Kate. Uh, Her Instagram is, I'll spell it out for you. It's K-A-A-G-R-R-R. K-A-A-G-R-R-R. So there you go. That's Kate Grout. And Kate is going to judge the Lomachrome Purple competition entries with me, uh, which is very, very exciting. And um, yeah, I can't wait to do that. That'll take place in early June. Uh, we just have to work out a time between us uh, for to do the judging. Um, there's no sort of deadline or anything. Uh, so I think it'll just be when we're both free, but I think we'll need a couple of hours because I've actually just checked the number of entries since I've been recording this podcast and it's shut up to 34. So we might, uh, we might get 36 or 37 the way it's going, maybe even more than that. So it'll be very exciting. And, uh, I'm already dreading, um, that, <laughs> putting the zine together with that many images. No, only joking. I, I love putting together zines. Um, so yeah, very, very exciting times and uh, look out for that soon. I'm also putting together this weekend a couple of my other zines. Uh, I really want to get them out the door very soon. So um, I think I'm kind of had my, my head in InDesign already a couple hours this weekend and, and the thought of spending even more time in InDesign over the coming months. Uh, yeah, it's not filling me with a lot of joy, but I certainly love that, that final product, you know, again, a zine in your hands or a book in your hands is uh, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. One more thing before I go, I have just bought a table at the Brisbane Camera Holics Fair for June. Very, very exciting. So if you're based uh, in Southeast Queensland here in Australia, or if you know you're traveling up to Brisbane that weekend, uh, the Camera Holics Annual Camera Fair is on Sunday, the sixth of June, 2021, at Albion in Brisbane, in a north side in Brisbane. So Matt Loves Cameras has a stand there, and I'm not sure who'll be helping me out. I think I've I've got to bring a helper. So it's either Mrs. Matt Loves Cameras, my wife Sarah, or it will be my daughter Elodie has also expressed interest. Um, I'm not sure she knows that she'd have to hang around camera nerds for several hours though. So maybe that'll, you know, maybe she'll, maybe she'll change her mind. Uh, but I'll be selling all sorts of stuff there. I'll be selling zines. I'll be selling cameras. I'll be selling some film in my fridge. Uh, I, I'm not going to shoot. Uh, lots of really cool camera stuff. So make sure you come say good day if you, if you are listening to this, if you're in, in the Australia and you plan on visiting the Cameraholics Fair, yeah, come say good day. It'd be really, really cool to meet you. That's it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Take care. I'll be back very soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.
ruined that, but it actually sounded pretty good. Why, thank you. Okay. Um, visit coffee dot. Yeah. 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 Yeah.